0: We'll begin by asking you to open to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I just want to read chapter 1 to us, as that is my assignment on the night. The nature of Christian ministry is the, term, uh, the title of my sermon, three points the identity of Christ preachers, the calling of Christ preachers, and the shame and joy of Christ preachers. 2 Timothy is. One book among two others, First Timothy and Titus, that are especially written to individual men who were in the pastoral ministry. So we call them the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters. and And so this is informative for all of us in the church to look to, 2 Timothy. This is this is something that is necessary, not just for pastors, but for you in the congregation to look into 2 Timothy to see what it is that God calls your pastors, uh, not only Keith, but the associate pastors here as well, to be, and the standard that he calls them to, and how you may pray for them. And this also uh, overflows to every Christian. So these, these commands and these teachings are or for all of us until Christ's return. This is for the whole church. The text reads, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, for which which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me." or what I have entrusted to him. The translation could go either way there. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Timothy, and I won't spend too much time on this, but just a little bit about Timothy. His name means one who honors God. His mother and his grandmother were instrumental in raising him. We'll look at that in just a moment. Eunice, his mother, and Lois, his grandmother, raised him up in the Old Testament Scriptures. His father was a Greek, likely a pagan. We're not told anything other than that he was a Greek, but in the context there in Acts where we're told that, it seems to contrast him with the faith of Timothy's grandmother and mother uh, that we find here in 2 Timothy Uh, He was led to Christ most likely by Paul in his first missionary journey. And as Paul came back through on his second missionary journey to Lystra where Timothy was, the church testified about Timothy and his service to the church. And Paul took him with him as his own personal disciple and friend and co-laborer in the gospel. And he stayed in that ministerial capacity for the rest of his life, rest of Paul's life. He had to endure prison. Hebrews 13 teaches us this. He was, um, Paul was full of confidence in Timothy that his faith is real, and Paul fully expects that he'll be executed and he is entrusting the continuance of gospel ministry to this young disciple that has been so faithful at his side throughout Paul's life. This is Paul's final letter that is his final spirit-inspired letter in the scripture, and we know that shortly thereafter, he was executed. In fact, he makes mention of this in 2 Timothy. Paul is going to be executed, and he wants to stir up Timothy to carry on this fight, which may well cost him his life as well. And I have those three points that i already made mention of. The first is the identity of Christ preachers, and, and we're taking a bird's eye view this weekend from each of the chapters of 2 Timothy. We'll get into some of the details, but we won't be able to get into them uh, at any great depth uh, as far as as far as what we would normally do if we took it bit by bit. But uh, it's good to take a a bird's eye view to come back and look at the letter as a whole. Often, if we're not careful, even in expository preaching, and I'm an expository preacher like your preacher is, and I love to go verse by verse, passage by passage, book by book, Sometimes if we're not careful when we're reading and doing our quiet time and our discipleship time and we're studying the Word of God, we, we will zero in on things and forget that these were letters. And uh, when I write a letter to my wife, I don't want her just to read the first paragraph. I hope she reads the whole of that letter. And the same thing here. So this is very beneficial to pull back and take a look at 2 Timothy as a whole, chapter by chapter. You will be blessed uh, and edified over this weekend for your time invested. It will not be wasted. Uh, We pray God in this. The first is the identity of Christ preachers. Verses 1 to 5, we see that Paul says, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. I want you to see under this, firstly under the identity of Christ's preachers, that there is a brotherhood in Christ Jesus. There's a brotherhood in Christ Jesus. He calls Timothy beloved child. And he extends a prayer to Timothy in his letter. Grace, mercy, and peace. Beloved child is not a throwaway term. Beloved child carries with it a depth of sincerity and love and warmth in it. It is, in effect, calling Timothy, my dear loved one, you are my brother, you are my child in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the one that I love. He voices his heart to God in front of Timothy in this letter. May God grant you peace and mercy and grace. I love you, Timothy. I want you to know one thing at the beginning of this letter. I don't have long left on planet Earth, and I want you to know that I write this letter to you as your Father in the faith, I love you, Timothy. You are my beloved child. This is not a throwaway greeting. This has great depth and sincerity from the heart of the apostle to Timothy, his own son in the faith. Love in the body of Jesus Christ is what Jesus himself said would showcase that we are in Jesus Christ to the onlooking world. Our love for one another has the force of bringing those outside of the body of Christ to see something of the supernatural reality of the love of God in Christ for the saints. This is a love relationship. It goes deep. Paul loves Timothy, and right out of the gates, he wants him to know, what I write, I write as your father who loves you, Timothy. Timothy. You're my beloved child. Your investment in First Baptist Keller should see the fruit that we see here. Beloved in Christ, one another loving each other, a love in Jesus Christ that shapes your very lives with each other. You do not have an individual identity in Jesus Christ You have a corporate identity in Jesus Christ for when he saved you and poured his love through his Holy Spirit into your hearts. As Romans 5 teaches us, that love for God that's poured into you is a love that flows out of you toward your brothers and sisters. You have a family. You are beloved. And you love God your family, and we are to love in such a way that it stupefies the watching world because they don't have this kind of love. God grants this kind of love, and Timothy starts it with love. In the end, he will give a, uh, send out some greetings that are born out of a heart of love for those brothers and sisters as well. These are not throwaway terms. This is our calling. How often are you in the habit of telling Church members, I love you. We do that in our homes, in our family. My blood relationship, I love, and I tell my kids and my wife I love them all the time. How often do you tell brothers and sisters in Christ that you love them? Blood relationship is vital and important and created and ordained by God, but the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ is eternal. Oftentimes, our blood relationship will not last beyond the grave because we will have, sadly, those who... Do not repent and put faith in Jesus Christ. But your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you will be family with them forever. I tell my people, you better get used to me because you're stuck with me for all eternity. (laughs) There's no getting away from me. Say you love each other. Men, let us be man enough to say, I love you, brother. I'm in the habit of that. And yes, it's not the easiest thing for this Mississippi boy born and raised. We strong southern men, you know, we, we, we are very manly, but the manly thing in the Word of God is to say, I love you. If we love each other, we say it. We express it. And we ought to express it to one another. Tell your brothers and sisters you love them. Make it a habit in your walk. In verse 3, There's a thanksgiving to God. There are constant prayers and a mindfulness of Timothy. Timothy is on the heart of the apostle. Timothy is on the mind of the apostle. And the prayers of the apostle cannot but be intercessory for Timothy. This is another gauge of your love for each other. How often do you pray for your brothers and sisters? Now, in a church of, of this size there is going to, be, uh, there's going to be some distance, but you have a small group ministry and you ought to be invested thoroughly and heavily in the lives of your church in that small group ministry such that they're on your heart and mind. And so when you pray to the Lord your God, you give thanksgiving to those in the church that God has placed you in and you pray for them. And every time you pray, the thoughts of your brothers and sisters should be there and you should voice prayers for your your brothers and sisters it may just be a, a simple lord thank you for my brother jim thank you for my sister sarah what a blessing she is please bless her and especially when we're going through times and seasons of difficulty that should be something that we discipline ourselves to do paul does this he has his mindset on timothy for timothy must carry on this work And as his son, he prays for him and he knows that Timothy needs the prayers. Timothy is a mature man of God. He's been trained by the Apostle Paul himself. He has been at the side of the Apostle Paul for all of his ministry almost. And there he is at the side of the Apostle Paul, trained by the Apostle Paul, mature in the faith. He comes with a recommendation of the Apostle Paul to the churches. Paul knows that Timothy has a sincere faith. Paul knows that Timothy is strong in the Word. Paul knows that Timothy has walked with him. Paul knows some of Timothy's weaknesses as well, but Timothy is a mature man of God that Paul can entrust with the churches. He sends Timothy out to the churches, and he prays for him. There, beloved, is no brother or sister in this building or in the Church of God Universal or any local church that is beyond the need of prayer. We must pray for each other, and if Timothy is to carry on this, he understands God must bless him in this work. Thank you, God, that I can die with the the knowledge that my disciple Timothy, he'll keep going. You've been faithful to me, and I have every confidence in you, oh God, that you'll strengthen him. Thank you for this disciple, this warrior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, strengthen him. We need the prayers. Even the apostle Paul is in prison. He's reminding them to pray for him that he would have the strength. He is, uh, mentions being filled with joy. If I could but see Timothy one more time, I would be filled with joy as I remember your tears. I wish I could see you, Timothy. It would flood my heart with joy. And this just begs the question again. Uh, in seeing the church and gathering it together with the church, do you have joy that floods your heart? Does your loyalty and love foster this kind of activity and thought among the pastoral staff, among your senior pastor? Do you pray for your senior pastor? Oh, God forbid that criticism would characterize your relationship to the pastor. And and we're easy targets. There's a whole list uh, that uh, I I could add mine to Pastor Keith, and you can can throw me under the bus uh, along with him if you wanted to. I've got a long list of things. Uh, that you could easily criticize me for, but what should characterize our relationship and your relationship as a congregation to your pastor is a heart of love that we see between Paul and Timothy, that a a heart that is filled with joy, a heart that is filled with love, and a life that is filled with prayer for each other. Uh, We go on and we see under this identification a gospel heritage, and I'll be I'll, I'll try to be quick here. A gospel heritage, and we see this in Paul. He serves as his ancestors did with a clear conscience. And in Timothy, Timothy, I'm reminded of your faith, and I know it was in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Praise God for faithful sisters who walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe and we teach and we hold to the, the truth of the word of God that there are certain roles for men and women. And we, we preach and we teach this without apology because God has given us this message. He has set this up. He has ordained this. And as we understand that men are set apart for the office of the pastor and that ladies are given a different role, we're not by any stretch of the imagination saying that women are less than, that our sisters are less than. Ladies are often the most influential shapers of these men of God. And here Timothy was launched into this life of ministry. God ordained his grandmama and his mama to bring him up in the word of God and launch him. You think Timothy ever forgot about his grandmama and his mama? I don't think he ever forgot it. Paul didn't even forget it. Looking at him and said, those were remarkable women. Ladies, You want to be a remarkable woman in the Lord? Train your kids. Grandmothers, get involved. Train those grandkids in the Word of God. We do a lot of good things for our children. The best thing you can do is is be a disciple of Jesus Christ and grow in the Word of God so that when your grandkids and when your kids come to you, you can spew over the Scriptures to them. You can proclaim jesus christ to them you can give them sound biblical teaching and instruction and wisdom train them and point them to jesus christ that's what they did and again paul will bring this up that's what they did later in second timothy you had it it made you wise for salvation timothy and we see this here this is a gospel heritage and paul uh, he has the clear conscience. Timothy has the sincere faith. Basically two sides of the same coin. Paul is able to go about his ministry and his walk in the Lord with a, with a clear conscience. He has engaged in gospel ministry for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. And you do that because God's gift of faith to you. That's a genuine, authentic, sincere faith. The word literally means it's, it's, it's unhypocritical. It's not a phony fake. We, we who grow up in the Bible Belt South sometimes, and those of us with a certain personality types, we could play church fairly well. We, we could play the good neighborly sort. This is sincere Here, Timothy is not putting on a mask and pretending to be something he's not. And Paul is able to go through his ministry with a clear conscience that he has not withheld anything from the whole counsel of the Word of God. He proclaims the Lord God Almighty. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says that that we renounced all these underhanded ways, just the plain, open proclamation of the truth. Paul's not in the entertainment business. Paul is not trying to to tickle the ears of men. He's not trying to to find a way in so that people will will, uh, like him. He just wants to go in his life proclaiming Jesus Christ to the sinners in his path. He wants to see churches raised up, and he's going to do it God's way by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's foolishness. (laughs) To those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. Paul knows this. He has a clear conscience. He's not in it for gain, he's not in it to have the applause of people, he's in it for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. That is his heart, and Timothy has that sincere faith. Oh, parents, that we would have the desire to be filled with joy in this way. Let my daughter be last in her class, if that's what it is. Let let my son dig earthworms for a living, but let them have this sincere faith. Oh, God, let them know you. That should be our prayer. Generations from this day, your prayer for your family and your household ought to be, God, when Christ returns, let there be some Andersons. No, Lord, let every Anderson be yours. Lord Jesus, when you come, save all the households in this church. Let every generation praise you. Don't let there be a false, hypocritical, unsincere faith abiding in First Baptist Church, Keller, Texas, when Jesus returns. If it's within a year or a hundred years, oh God, let there be a solid gospel witness. Do you pray that way? Is that what fills your heart with joy, parents? Don't go down and buy the lie of the world that you're a successful parent if your children do well in school and they go to college, they get a good, good, uh, good job and they have a good marriage and a good home and they have good health. If they go to hell, you're a complete failure. Your task is to raise them as Timothy's. Grandmother and mother raised him in the word of God that's powerful to bring salvation to them and that ought to be what fills parents' and grandparents' hearts with joy. I have had the joy of baptizing two of my four children and, and I'm always preaching the gospel in my household. What a joy it is. That is a delight of us. Well, we see quickly the calling of Christ preachers here. The calling of Christ preachers I want you to see that it's a calling, first of all, of the sovereign Lord. This is a sovereign calling. And I'll just go through chapter 1 and just give you a quick hitter here of the sovereignty of God over this call of Paul and Timothy. Verse 1 starts it all with God's will. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He is... Uh, given Timothy is given in verse 6, the gift of God. In verse 7, God gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. It is God who gave that spirit. In verse 8, Paul is God's prisoner. Uh, not the Romans. He is, Paul, he is God's prisoner. We are to share in suffering by the power of God. Verse 9, God saved us. God called us. Not because of our works, but because of God's purpose and grace. God's grace is the one that gave us salvation and our calling into gospel ministry in Christ Jesus. And he did this before times eternal, before the ages began. It was Christ who came to us, not vice versa. In verse 10, Christ abolished death. Christ brought life. Christ brought immortality to light. In verse 11, Paul was appointed by God to be this preacher. And verse 12, God is the one who's powerful to guard what he entrusts to Paul. And verse 13, faith and love are in Christ Jesus. Again, by the Holy Spirit living in us, uh, we are able to guard the good deposit that's entrusted by God to us. It starts with God and it's entrusted to us. All throughout this letter, we could point out the sovereignty of the Lord in and through this we'll see a little bit of this again in chapter 2. And I'm sure you'll hear the ring of it in chapters 3 and 4. Jesus Christ is the head over the church. God is the one who calls a man into the preaching ministry. The man who appoints himself to the preaching ministry goes about on his own, fleshly. And he is in his own strength for his own fleshly purposes You might well say that he goes in the spirit of fear because God doesn't give the spirit of fear. We have that naturally in the flesh. God gives the spirit of of power and love and self-control. It is God who calls. No man has the right to self-appoint himself a preacher. No man has that right to say, I'm called of God on my own. God brings the call of God to a man. It is not like a career, and you don't fill out a form to find out how your your aptitude is weighed against other career options and go into the ministry. God calls his gospel preachers, and God alone, he is sovereign over this calling, and it is not something that you take or a man takes unto himself. There is this uh, sovereign grace of the Lord. And Paul reminds Timothy of God's sovereign grace in saving him because it is the Lord who saved us because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before ages begin. Paul reminds Timothy of God's sovereign grace and salvation and in his call to ministry because Timothy's works and strength is not what will carry him across the finish line. The work and grace of the Father in eternity past is his only hope. There can be only one who is working before time's eternal, before the ages began. Timothy, that's not you. A little hint, before the creation of all things and you are saved and set apart into this calling and into this salvation before times eternal, there is only one who can do it, and that is God, not you. And and and, then to build this in, he says, it is not because of our works. Don't trust your strength, Timothy. Trust the sovereign God who saved you and set you apart before times eternal, before uh, the ages began. That is God's sovereign call of you to salvation in Jesus Christ and to service in Jesus Christ, and that will anchor Timothy. The aged Paul exhorts and uplifts the young minister by extolling God for his sovereign, electing, saving power. He is powerful to guard what he has entrusted to you, Timothy. God's sovereign grace, when rightly, biblically understood, His sovereignty over all of your life is not an avenue to spiritual sloth and neglect, but is an impetus behind growing in godliness and persevering till the end. Paul tells Timothy, you're not not off the hook because God has done this sovereignly to just go, well, I'm saved and God elected me and he predestined me and he saved me and he put this calling on me so I can just float Paul is doing the exact opposite. He is using it to press Timothy to work all the harder in this calling because it goes into eternity past and it spans the ages into eternity future. God has set you apart for this. You will persevere in this. He has entrusted this to you and it has not left it to to chance and to your puny power God's power through you will see you through to the finish line. As I cross and take my last step over the finish line and I'm about to be executed, I have finished my race. You will finish your race only because God in his sovereignty has set you on this race to begin with. And he who is the Author of your faith is the finisher or the perfecter of your faith. He begins it and he ends it. You have been given a gift from God and God's power is the only way that you will cross this line. Sovereign, electing, saving grace is not to kill our responsibility and our duty in the ministry And in walking in Jesus Christ, it is to energize it. And we are to work all the more because it is not of our works. Timothy, don't compare yourself to the beloved apostle here, the apostle of of apostles. You, you, You would say that you don't measure up if you do that. This apostle, Paul is telling Timothy, merely rode the tidal wave of God's sovereign electing grace. And Paul can honestly say, I, just, I was just swimming in the tidal wave of God's sovereign plan and electing grace in my wife. Now he was swimming. He was there, and he's responsible, and God is the one behind it so that God is the one who gets 100% of the glory for Paul's ministry and 100% of the glory for Timothy's ministry. We will not... Receive the praise and honor and glory due to Jesus Christ alone in this calling and this salvation. God receives it. Jesus Christ receives it. He is the one who is praised. He is the one who is pressing us, and we are called to work and to press on. It's that glorious paradox of those two truths. It's a sovereign calling, it's a calling to within for, uh, the local church. He says in verse 6, By the laying on of my hands in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, by the laying on of the council of the elders, elders and pastors are synonymous in the New Testament. It is through the local church. In Acts 16, they're the local church, are the ones that brought Timothy up to the, to the apostle Paul. It's, it's not... Self-appointed in the sense that I'm just think I'm going to go through this career without God's calling me. Mean, God's sovereign call must be on my life, and it's not self-appointment in the sense that, well, I think God's sovereign calls on my life, but uh, this is just an individual decision. I'll inform the church. That's not how this works. It is in the church, to the church, and the church must recognize and confirm and sin. And under the shepherding of God's pastors, they recognize and see the one who is gifted, and they lay their hands on him, saying that, Lord, we recognize you have gifted and called this one out to full-time gospel ministry, and we, and we give those blessings, and we ask your blessings on him, and we recognize, Lord, your calling, and that he is useful in ministry in your local church. It's the local church. God's call to the local church, seen and verified by the local church and by local church pastors, uh, lest they be false teachers and just go out on their own. It's not something that's done independent of the local church. You are gifted, every one of you, if you're saved in Jesus Christ here tonight, you're gifted by the Spirit of God. And that gift is not like Christmas morning where you go into the corner with all your gifts and you try to keep keep your siblings away from your gifts and you're playing with your gifts. That's not how gifting in the Spirit works. The Holy Spirit gifts you specifically to employ that gift, especially in the local church. You're called to be a local church champion, to live corporately and not individually. Just like I said between Timothy and Paul, you have a corporate identity in Jesus Christ, and Timothy was set apart by the local church we're called to support and foster this identification with the local church. It's a commendable thing that you have here in the intern ministry and training young men for ministry in the context of this local church. And God helped that to carry on. I wonder... Uh, how many people are out there in parachurch ministries, and parachurch ministries are, exist to help the church, and there are many good parachurch ministries, but I, I wonder how many people in those parachurch ministries are out there who think that they are somehow called to help all the churches, and really they, they think that all the churches need their expertise when really one church needs their giftedness and their service. Look, we 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 are blessed by all kinds of uh, parachurch ministries, but we need to understand that the extraordinary calling is the calling to a local church, local church pastor. Almost spit on. I mean, I grew up in an era where you got this great conference with great preaching going on, and this great conference, great preaching going on, and we hear of. Of missionaries being sent across the globe in these exotic locations, and and we see all of these kinds of parachurch ministries growing up, and and we've almost flipped it to where the parachurch ministries uh, are being planted at a rate faster than churches are. They're meant to serve the church. Christ is the head of His body, the church, not the parachurch. And parachurch ministries, if they're not careful, can go off of the rails and distract. Church members from local church ministries, and they can give their money and give their resources to parachurch while their local church is hemorrhaging right before their eyes and they don't even notice. Because all of the spectacular things that are going into the parachurch, we're talking about many of these good stuff that I've been, that I benefit with and still benefit today multi million dollar parachurch ministries. I've, I've since come in all my years, two decades now, pastoral ministry to a local church hidden away in rural Alabama now to, to take a step back and to go, do we really need all of these, all of that resources when God has gifted his church members, the common Joe and Sue of the, of the church body, the Spirit of the living God has gifted church members. Do we need expertise from outside all the time coming in and telling us? Or has this, is the Spirit of God working within us and gifting brothers and sisters in Christ? Brothers and sisters, the extraordinary calling is to the local church. I tell my people in Arab, Alabama, that if I were in Africa... I, I, that, uh, and, and over there, Arab, Alabama is halfway around the world. And I'm all for missions. And we are in a, in a mission-sending ministry. And I love to go on mission trips. And I love to see missionaries called and sent in the context of the local church for the local church to plant local churches all over the globe. But we need to, some, maybe some of us take off those blinders that are on the spectacular and see this is the spectacular you are the spectacular my brothers and sisters in christ you who are here at first baptist Keller, this is where it is this is where the work of god is god would use you here in this church because he has gifted you i tell my people all the time I don't want to get in the way of the Holy Spirit. And if you've called me as your pastor to try to do everything for you, then that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. If I try to answer to that, I'm going to try to get in the way of the Spirit of God because God has gifted you in ways he's not gifted me. I'm called with my gifting to serve his church in a certain way, but he has a variety of gifts, Ephesians 4. A diversity of those gifts. We are one with a diversity of gifts in the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I try to take on everything in the church, I'm stepping between God's people and the Spirit of God who's saying, by the way, Pastor, I don't want you in this ministry in the sense that you think I want you in this ministry. I want you to train the people to do the work of the ministry and get out of my way. I'm using them as we work together as a body. You're gifted, and I, as the pastor, need the flock that I'm called the shepherd as much as they need me. I'm not over them. I'm not an executive. I don't transcend them. I'm a man. I struggle with sins. I don't show up at church with my briefcase in hand like I'm going to work and going, okay, all right, let me give you all what you need. I'm the exalted one. I'm not, a, I'm not an archangel. I've not reached glorification yet. I'm in the process of sanctification like all of my church members are. And I need them in my life just like they need me in theirs. We need each other. And this is a church calling. Well, it's a calling to persevere, to fan into flame, to revitalize. He must kindle the gift. He must be diligent to see it burn at full blaze. We see in verse 6, he must guard the good deposit there. He is called to take what God has entrusted to him and to keep watch over it, to protect it. He is to faithfully preach the truth of the Word of God. That's, in a nutshell, the good deposit, the good news of Jesus Christ. He must preach and teach the Word of God of God to God's people and to outsiders. He must evangelize them with the word of the truth of Jesus Christ. This is God's means of growing his church spiritually and growing his church numerically by way of conversions, the preaching of the gospel. And I don't hear me say, when i talk talked about the sovereign calling and God's sovereign election, and I'm, I'm one of those guys, don't hear me say that I don't preach the gospel. God forbid if I ever close my mouth and not proclaim Christ to the lost sinners who need Him. If you're here tonight and you're a sinner outside of Jesus Christ, I'm urging you right now, I plead with you, repent of your sins and put faith in Jesus Christ. Every sinner who runs in faith to Jesus Christ, repenting from their sins and putting faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ receives. I praise God I can preach that with a clear conscience. And I can proclaim that and I urge you Don't wait. Flee in faith to Jesus Christ. This is the means, and Timothy must guard that. Don't let the enticements of the world take you off of track. We live in a a day where churches, so many of them, have gotten off track. We're in Grand Central Station location in this part in Texas, are we not? for a lot of that kind of antics where we think if we can do this and that and we will, we will serve people's carnal, lustly, fleshly desires and then we'll slip a little gospel to them. It's more of the plan of Satan than of Christ. We are called to the open proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ and its foolishness to the world, 1 Corinthians Teaches that, and In the first two chapters, we see that in chapter 1. And we're called to do that, and God saves anyway. Why? So that he gets the glory at the preaching of his word. This is what Timothy is called to guard. He must suffer for the gospel. Uh, Paul was God's prisoner. Timothy must be a fellow sufferer with the apostle. He is called to do this. There's a whole... Theology in the scripture of, of suffering, uh, we we see that in 2 Timothy 3:12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He tells Timothy, If you pursue holiness and godliness in Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. This is where we go. And Philippians Paul tells the Philippians, it's not only granted to you that you believe in Jesus Christ, that's sovereign grace, but it's also granted to you that you suffer for Jesus Christ. He tells the the Thessalonians that you've been destined for affliction. Affliction is not anything that ever catches God off guard. It is something that God means for your good. And when Joseph is thrown into the pit, God meant it for good. Not that God just took it and used it for good. God meant it for good. God ordains and brings these things about. And Romans 8 tells us that he does so so that you will be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, he's explaining your position in Jesus Christ and the spirit of God abiding in you. And the spirit of God is in you in Romans 8. And it cries, Abba, Father, and your father hears you. And then he says, but for you to get there, you've got to suffer as Christ suffered. And he answers the question of, well, why must we suffer? And he gets down to Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we, we have that, that golden passage that God is behind all of it. That, that you don't suffer on your own. And you don't suffer to no end. It is to the end that you are conformed to Jesus Christ. Conformity to Christ and not comfort is the work of the Spirit in us. And God... Will employ afflictions in our lives, and here Timothy is told is told to be a fellow sufferer for the sake of the gospel. We are we're called to this. Finally, the shame and joy of Christ preachers, shame and joy of Christ preachers. We see this in the end. We see that uh, you are aware that all who are in Asia turn from me, among whom are. Phagellus and Hermogenes, that's the shame. Uh, There are those that were with him, they turned away. Shame in this context is not so much about shame over guilt and sin, but being ashamed of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Timothy is not to be. And shame, being ashamed and shame comes up again and again in this chapter alone and throughout this uh, epistle Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. I suffer because of God's appointment of me to an apostle, but I am not ashamed, Paul says. Phagellus and Hermogenes, they were ashamed, but Anesiphorus wasn't. Timothy, look at Anesiphorus. Don't be ashamed. Share in my suffering. Proclaim Jesus Christ. This is at the end of chapter 4, the rescue of of Paul is a rescue that's tied to uh, preaching Jesus Christ. It's being unashamed to proclaim the gospel of God, and we're that way when the Spirit of God fills us and controls us. How pitifully weak we can be that we are silenced in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ with the mere roll of the eyes in our direction. How pitifully weak we are when a simple facial expression will close our mouths in proclaiming Christ to somebody. We want somebody to think we're intelligent. We want people to like us. We don't want to be unfriended on social media. And so we are so pitiful when the Apostle Paul sits in prison awaiting execution. How weak are we? When those kinds of things and those fears overtake us from proclaiming Jesus Christ with boldness and clarity, God grant us grace. Timothy, don't be ashamed. They were ashamed, but Anesiphorus wasn't. He searched me out with eagerness. And there is this shame. Anesiphorus brings joy. Timothy is the one that would fill Paul's heart with joy. Look to Anesiphorus, Timothy, don't fear. Third John we have this beautiful letter written by uh, John to Gaius, his true child in the faith. And John, in his later years, writing to Gaius, and Gaius is standing up for the truth of the word of God. And in that letter to Third John, there's Diotrephes, and Diotrephes hates the word of God, and he hates the preachers of the word of God. But Gaius loves the preachers of the word of God, and Gaius is not ashamed. And their love is in the bond of truth to Gaius, whom I love in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is the joy of Christ preachers. There's the shame of Christ preachers. We bear the reproach of the name of Jesus Christ, and not all will follow through, and many will leave when the world mocks and the world threatens. Timothy, you hold steady. You be a Gaius. There's no greater joy when you're walking in the truth. Brothers and sisters, it's the truth of the word of God that builds our relationship. It's the truth of the word of God. God uses the means of his Bible to strengthen you and to grow you in Christ and to grow you together as a church and to make you bold in the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's book. He's the one that drove the apostles and the apostles, and the prophets and the apostles to write it. He is the one that takes it and grows you from it. And you spend time in the book, your relationship with the Lord grows deeper and your relationship with one another grows deeper. And your boldness to proclaim him is, uh, is, is grows all the more. Well, that's, that's a quick, quick hitter. I know it didn't feel too quick, but uh, a quick hitter of chapter 1. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, your grace and your mercy. I pray your blessings on us, Lord as we meet again tomorrow night and on the Lord's Day. And I pray that you'd grant us strength uh, as your preachers to preach and exalt you. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.